You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Hello, everybody. It's lovely to, to be here. I'm Tim. I'm uh, one of the leaders here. If you haven't been before, you're so welcome. I'm going to be finishing off our series with God at work, God in the workplace. We've uh, looked at uh, three weeks so far. What is work for? What is work? Uh, we looked at, Morris looked at how work is not our enemy. It's not a result of the fall, even though the, the suffering and pain and difficulty in work is. Uh, actually, God made us to work, and uh, in eternity, we will still have work to do. It won't be tough and difficult and painful. It will be glorious and wonderful, and it will be to do with us redeeming uh, the world, the new heavens and the new earth, and bringing it into all that God has called it to be. And Tom spoke to us about integrity at the workplace. What does it look like for us to be worshipping God above any other option that there is? Colossians 3 says, whatever we do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. And Tom was speaking to us about that, spoke to us about Joseph and how he had a a, a conflict at work and he chose God over the other alternative. And then Morris spoke to us last week, lead or follow. Do we want to be thermostats or thermometers at work? Do we want to be those who set the temperature or those who just take the temperature and know what the temperature is? Do we want to be different to uh, the world? And uh, as Christians, we really want to and we really should, if we are true to who we are, look different to the world. And so I'm going to look today at pressure at work. I want us to see today that God is bigger than your pressures at work. If you're going to just take one thing away from today, that is it. That's the nugget today. God is bigger than your pressures at work. We're going to look at how he is faithful. He's in control. He is with you, and he is better than any other God you're tempted to give yourself to. I'm going to pray. Father, we just thank you again for this time of worship, knowing that you're a God who is Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you that We come to you today. We don't come to the band or to to the speaker. We come to the living God. And you've already proved yourself to be with us this morning and faithful to where we are. We thank you that we can hear from you and be strengthened. We can hear from you and have really have our lives changed in an instant. We thank you for what you've done through your son. Thank you, Jesus, for how you changed everything. And Lord, we do pray. Give us ears to hear what you want to say. Through, uh, through this word. Give us soft hearts, Lord. I pray you'd speak through me. And uh, while our eyes are closed, why don't you pray? God, speak to me. Even if you don't believe in God, this is your chance to say, okay, God, speak to me this morning if you're there. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Right. amen. So, pressure at work can be a good thing. There is inevitable pressure at work. We are motivated by deadlines and appraisals. We are measured by performance and our employers want to know if their investment in us is a worthy investment. So we are given inevitable healthy pressures. Some healthy pressures could be doing a presentation to a room of shirty suited people, meeting a quota given to you by your line manager, raising the grades of a poorly performing class, Maybe you're self-employed and your pressure is to create a clientele. Perhaps you manage someone with whom you need to have an uncomfortable conversation. Perhaps you are a stay-at-home mum and your pressure is balancing parenting, homework, food, being a loving wife. Or maybe you have to preach to a few hundred people on Sunday and it's Friday and you've got nothing to say. 
So some of us have pressures that are healthy, and that's inevitable, but some work pressures, and I know this from friends at this church, I know we're all going through different types of pressures, some of them are very unhealthy, unrealistic work hours, unreachable goals, being told to lie. I was told by someone after the first week, in her first job at an insurance claim agency, she was told, if you work here, you will have to lie. A boss who has an unfair view of you, We've all probably had workmates or bosses who we think, they just don't get me, and now they think the worst of me, and I can't win with them. It's not healthy. People around you being lazy and adding pressure to your work environment. You having to catch up for the work that they don't do. Or other people being very driven around you and treading on people around you to get their promotion. And you see it and you think, this is wrong. Maybe treading on you to get there. Or maybe, as I said before, you're the stay-at-home parent and your pressure is not just all the balancing, but the exhaustion physically and emotionally and maybe feeling unappreciated at the same time. So what we're going to look at today is what's our response to pressure? What is a Christian's response? Do we have a response? Tom was saying to us a few weeks ago, there's no sacred secular divide. We haven't become Christians so that we can be Christians on Sunday Or maybe be Christians in the car on the way to work, praying, God, yeah, be with me today. And then we we shut the car door and say, see you later, God. I'll be back at five. No, we're to take God into our workplace. When God purchased us with the blood of his only son, he purchased all of us. And he's a jealous God and he wants all of us. He doesn't want us to just say, well, I'll have you on the weekends, God. And so, as Tom said, there is no divide He wants us to follow through. I remember when I was training to be a teacher, uh, I was told that sport is a fantastic learning ground for children. In the sporting environment, children have to learn what it is to be competitive healthily, what it is to win well, what it is to lose well, uh, what it is to encourage those around us, what it is to be a leader, what it is to be a good follower. And I think It's very similar to the workplace for Christians. Workplace for Christians is a great environment for us to be tested and thrown in at the deep end and say, okay, God, this is where the rubber hits the road. How do I be a Christian now? It's very easy to be a Christian in this environment where everyone is uh, encouraging you to be a Christian, where everyone is saying we're Christians together, we we are looking to God for his leadership together. When we're around uh, maybe a hostile environment or a difficult environment, it's hard. But it's a great testing ground. It's a great ground for us to learn our character. So what is a Christian's response to pressure at work? Well, the obvious answer is that as Christians, we need to be well practiced at living a life of faith in God. The Bible says that when we turn from our sin, receive God's forgiveness, and put our trust in Jesus, we become a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We are born again. So we should therefore look different to how we used to look before we were a Christian. We should therefore look different to those who are not Christians. Wouldn't it be fantastic if you were chatting to someone, a businessman, who employed lots of people, and it came up that you were a Christian, and his response was, you're a Christian. And you say, yeah. And he says, I love Christians. I love employing Christians. They're really trustworthy. They're reliable. They're honest, hard workers, and they always enhance the workplace. 
Wouldn't that be so fantastic to have that as the feedback you got? Or even, you're from Hope Church. I love employing people from Hope Church. You enhance the workplace. You bring life to us. You're reliable. I know. I can trust you. Oh, if I want someone to do a training track, I always get one of the Christians in. Because they're really good at it. They really bring something to it. Wouldn't that be fantastic? Well, to some extent, that's what we should expect, really, isn't it? If we are called to be... uh, new creation, if we are called to be obedient to God, then in the workplace we should stand out. We are not just people who do the least they can to get the most they can. We're the people who say, no, I serve God. That's my motivation. I come to worship God. If you've got your Bible, let's turn to Daniel 3, 13. Daniel 3, 13. It's going to be on the screen, so don't worry if you haven't got your Bible. I encourage you to bring your Bible if you do, but it will be on the screen. I'll tell you a bit of background information. In this book, Daniel writes about his own life in captivity. He was selected to work for the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel and his friends made bold and tough decisions and several times displayed their integrity to stand for godliness instead of culture. So it's two of our last two weeks there. They had integrity to stand for godliness, not for the culture. They rejected, so there's a few things they'd done before we get into our chapter. They rejected the king's food, which they were supposed to eat, because it went against what they had been asked to do by God. And even though it got them in trouble. They prayed when it was illegal to do so. It was made illegal to pray to any other god. And they said, well, we can't stop praying to our god. And now in chapter 3, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are in trouble for refusing to bow and worship the king's golden statue. Okay, so this is where we pick it up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in trouble with the king for not bowing down to this golden image. 13. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what god will be able to rescue you from my hand? Let's just stop for a second. How's that for pressure at work? <laughs> and have you experienced anything like that before? This is a major workplace dilemma. These guys are facing betrayal. So they've been put in this position because a group of people called the Chaldeans who were jealous of them for the position they had got in this workplace and in the, in the government, actually, because they work for the king uh, in the, the governing of the, of the land. Um, these group of people were jealous. So they had actually got them in trouble by dobbing them in to the king. And so, and because they wanted the promotion, they wanted the position. And now Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are facing the most unreasonable demands in the workplace that I can ever think of. They do what the king says, or they will be fired, literally. <laughs> They're going to be thrown into a furnace of fire if they don't do what he says they are supposed to do. And how's their response? Their response is incredible. Let's go on from verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, 
We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into a blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. Because he did like them before, because they had done good work for him. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. The king, Nebuchadnezzar, leaped to his feet in amazement and asked the advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble for no other god can save in this way. This king was a psycho. (laughs) Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So we see God is bigger than the pressures that these men faced. And they were able to come out victorious. Incredible. We'll look at four ways how they managed to do that. One, they fear God first. Verse 16, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So they fear God first. It's not as if they're rude or bad workers. Actually, they honor the king. They they call him your majesty. They've been respectful to him throughout. They aren't slackers or gossipers. They're very good workers. The king's opinion does matter to them, but not as much as God's opinion. This is a key thing. They talk about the God we serve. Now, they do serve Nebuchadnezzar. That's their job, to serve him. But if it clashes with serving their God, there's only ever going to be one winner for them. They serve their God first. Nebuchadnezzar will always come second. Now, in your workplace, fear of others could be an issue for you. It could be quite subtle or it could be obvious to you. Your boss or colleagues could have too much impact on you. Do you find it hard to say no to work demands? Do you exaggerate your achievements or cover your failings? 
Do you keep quiet about being a Christian for fear of other people's reactions? Do you pretend to be someone different in order to fit in? Fear of man is is very common. We all struggle with it from time to time. Fear of man is simple in its solution. Fear God. If we fear man, the answer is fear God. These people could have easily feared this man. They weren't naive. They They weren't stupid. They weren't deluded. They knew this fire is hot. This king is a psycho. We know the issue is real. I was already going to talk about the disciples in the boat before Femi brought that. The disciples in the boat, that storm, they woke up Jesus saying, Jesus, wake up, wake up. There's a storm. We're going to go under. We're going to drown. Now, they, that, they are in their work environment. They're all fishermen. They know what this storm is like. They know that this could drown them. They know very well what's going on here. They haven't undermined. They haven't got a wrong assessment of the storm. They assess the storm very well. But they've got a wrong assessment of God, that he is smaller than the storm. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't have that problem. They assessed, yes, this fire is real. This king is definitely going to follow through with this. They're not deluded, but they do know, I fear God first. God is bigger than this. Maybe that's something for you to contemplate in an area at work where you're finding this is impossible, this situation. To remember God is bigger than this. He is actually someone to fear more than this situation, more than that colleague, more than looking a certain way to certain people. Maybe it's an obvious thing, you're going through horrendous difficulty, or maybe it's a subtle thing, you just find you, you say lewd jokes in the office because it makes people laugh. And actually, that's a fear of man thing, because you're choosing to totally compromise obedience to God in, terms of, in favor of winning over people. The more you grasp God for who he really is, his love, his mercy, his holiness, his glory and beauty, the more his opinion will matter more than anyone else's. Go to God, get to know him, get to enjoy him, see him for how big he is, and you'll realize, oh, that thing is actually quite small. They could say this huge fire that's already killed two men as they, well, it hasn't already, but by the time that they're going to get thrown in, kills two men because it's so fierce. They say, even that, God is bigger than that. Number two, they are confident that he is in control and they trust him. They're confident that God is in control. Number verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. With the threat of being burned alive, they are sure that God is able. I love it. It's just amazing. Our God is able. They don't say God will deliver us. They say he's able to. It's not like they say he better or I'm not going to follow him. No, he's able to. I'm confident that he's in control. Whether he saves us from the fire or not is a different matter, but I know that he is in control. I know that he is able to. He does, they do then say, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. One way or another, he will. Okay, whether it's me dying in the fire and I get delivered from your hand, or whether it's us not dying in the fire, he will deliver us from your hand. Because this is what the king has said. Who's going to deliver you from my hand? 
Our God is able and he will. But he might not do it our way. Tim Keller, a preacher and an author, says, We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. God, you haven't answered my prayer. I wanted that promotion. You don't know what you're doing. God says, you don't know what's on the other side of that promotion. You don't know what I've got for you here now. You don't know tomorrow. Trust me. I'm in control. Be confident. Trust me in it. Are you confident that God is in control when you encounter pressure at work? If something doesn't go the way you wanted, do you still trust God over yourself? Do you trust that he knows best for you? This is real. This isn't just theory. I know some of you are really going through difficult struggles. These are real questions to ask yourself. Jesus is in control of our work situations. He does answer prayer. And he can change and sort them out. I'm not just saying he will ignore you and do whatever he wants to do. No, he can. He can change your work situation. He, he's very able and he may do it the way you ask him to do it. Number three, they experience him with them. 25, he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound. Remember, they were tightly bound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. So these men stood firm in faith, trusted in God's goodness and put put God first and they experienced God with them. As I said earlier, do you experience God with you at work? Do you acknowledge God with you? Proverbs 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, not on your own understanding. In all your ways, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. It's very easy for us to, like I said earlier, just acknowledge him on a Sunday morning. You might even have a, a really good pattern of acknowledging him first thing in the morning, every morning. But then you still could leave the house and say, I'll see you later, God. God wants you to know I'm with you. I'm with you throughout your day. I'm with you throughout your week. I'm available to you. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's Jesus speaking. And John 14, 16 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus has promised himself to us and he's sent his helper to be with us. Do you acknowledge him in your pressures at work? Do you acknowledge him throughout your working day? It doesn't have to be a heavy thing. We don't say, right, every 10 minutes you go to the bathroom, you kneel, you shut the cubicle door, kneel down, pray, I'm acknowledging you again, Jesus. No, we acknowledge his goodness to us as we go throughout the day. We acknowledge his faithfulness to us. We, 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 we speak to him, we love him, we enjoy his grace on our lives. I remember when I was going through quite a tough time at one of my jobs and I really struggled with one of my colleagues and I spoke to my pastor and he started talking to me about David and Saul. And it really irritated me. Because I thought, no, you don't get it. I'm talking about an actual issue. An actual issue at work. Something else needs to be sorted out. This guy is in the wrong. He starts talking to me about the Bible. No, 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 this. It's a bit like the disciples again. No, Jesus, the storm is what we need. Jesus says, no, no, you need faith. It's so easy for us to forget that actually God is not just with us, but he's working on us all the time. You'll be in that situation, like I said earlier, a bit like kids in sport. 
you're in, you're in a workplace where God is always molding you, working on you, doing things. Acknowledge him. It would be silly for us to strive on our own when the God of the universe has made himself available to us. In the fire, they see Jesus is with them. And then finally, they are determined not to bow down to another God. The reality of pressure at work hits us hard, doesn't it? Being Christians doesn't stop the, re- doesn't stop the pressures coming. It doesn't change that pressures are still there. We can't decide what pressures come, but what we are responsible for is how we respond to them. You may be thinking, Tim, no one's asking me to bow down to a big gold statue at work. Well, let's talk about that. One of the difficulties we face is that when we're under pressure, not only do we want to blame the person who's putting us under pressure for the pressure, but we want to blame them for our response. If my boss didn't make such unrealistic demands, I wouldn't be so grumpy and angry. If they paid me more, then I would do my work properly. If they gave me a longer lunch break, then I wouldn't take that extra 20 minutes in the afternoon on their time. But the Bible says that all our actions flow from other people's poor treatment of us. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that. The Bible says that our actions flow from what is within us, our hearts. Jesus said in Mark seven twenty to 23, What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, Lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly, all these evils come from inside and they defile a person. We know that we have responded badly in lots of situations. I know I have. I haven't done some of the things on this list, but I've definitely taken time from work, maybe even taken something from work that I shouldn't have taken in the past. I've been arrogant, I've been foolish, I've been envious. I'm sure we can all relate to these things. We think, yeah, but I wouldn't have done that if they hadn't done this. Well, the Bible's saying the responsibility is still on you for the way you behave. Luke 6 says, Jesus says, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. The Bible says our actions flow from within, from our heart. We can even point the finger at God. God, if you hadn't put me in this team, I would have got that promotion by now. God, you brought us here. You've made a mistake. God, this isn't fair. I know I've gone through that, those sorts of questions myself. And in James, he challenges this. He says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. The Bible really gives us nowhere to hide, does it? When we respond badly to pressure, whether it be cheating or lying, having a terrible attitude, running away or giving in to bitterness and anger or any number of things, 
the responsible person is you. It's a hard pill to swallow. But if we're honest with ourselves, don't we want to walk out of these things? It's, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, this is, this is, you're telling me it's all my fault. Well, your response is, is, is your responsibility. And with Jesus, it's great to acknowledge, I've been responsible for this, therefore I can be the one who walks out of it. When that verse talks about being enticed by our own evil desires, it doesn't just mean a desire for a bad thing. It can also mean a desire for a good thing that's become bigger than God. To want to be respected by your colleagues is not a bad thing. Success in business, obviously not a bad thing. Leave, leaving work on time, wanting that, it's not a bad thing. And for, for finding fulfillment in work, they're good things. But if my workmates make me angry or bitter, or if I swear or make lewd jokes to make them laugh, this is bad fruit. And something has become bigger than God. Maybe a desire for respect is bigger. Desire for success or leisure or fulfillment is bigger than God. And the fruits we bring display a lack of contentment in God. Actually, God isn't enough for me. So here's a question for you. How and when... Do you respond badly in the workplace? A sinful response I see in myself is anger, sinful anger and escapism. Just on Friday, my phone charger. You know, iOS update on the new Apple phone. I think it broke my charger. My charger was in, it's been working for months, and then suddenly this thing comes up. This device does not support this charger. No, you're wrong. Take it out. Put it back in. A few seconds later, this device does not support this. Show. No, no, you're wrong. Take it out. Put it back in. About five times. I got so angry, I took the charger and threw it across the room. That's not good. <laughs> That's not good. Another thing is, I want things to be fun or easy. If I'm finding that it's taken me a long time and I'm hitting walls and preparing a talk like today, then I'll probably click on something online on the internet that's a bit of escapism, a bit of fun, because this is hard. I just want to have fun. Now, the more I see these things in my life, the more I see that in those times, my God is comfort. I just want things to be easy. Why can't the phone just work the way it's supposed to? I just want things to work and go my way and be easy. Why is this work hard? I just want to have fun. I don't want to have to do difficult things. And who pays? My colleagues might pay with a grumpy or cross Tim. My wife might have to pay because I might have to come home late because I'm making up for time that I wasted looking at things online. And clearly I pay too. Do you see how my desire for something good has gone too far and I've started to worship it and put my trust in it above God. I'm effectively saying, I need comfort, and I will compromise obeying God to get it. I want it more than God. So what do I do? Well, it's my responsibility and my joy, actually, to confess it to God, keep walking out of it, and finding that he is a much, much better God. He's much better than comfort. I have had days in the past where I've worshipped at the temple of comfort. I've thought, do you know what? I've got a day off today. It's probably before I was married, although I have done it since I've been married. Esme's away for the day with the kids. I'm going to watch whatever I want on TV. I'm going to just stay in my 
pants until the afternoon. I'm going to eat whatever I want. Uh, And then at the end of the day, have felt grotty. Watching movies, playing games, avoiding responsibility, eating whatever I want. I've ended up feeling empty, miserable, dirty, guilty, and even physically sick at the end of the day. Not because of what I've eaten, but just like, ugh, what have I done with my day? What a waste. When at the beginning of the day, I thought, hmm, I can worship my comfort idol. Didn't actually think that, but that's actually what I'm doing. Do you know what? I've never worshipped the living God and felt anything like those. Worshipping God has left me at least better and stronger for it. At best, totally overwhelmed by his love. Rather than dirty, I'm cleansed. Rather than guilty, I'm at peace. Rather than miserable, I'm full of joy. And even physically refreshed. To spend time worshipping the correct God is so worthwhile. He is the best God. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego were determined to worship the correct God. If you're facing pressure at work, remember to worship the only God who is worthy of being worshipped. Our greatest example of this is Jesus. Jesus feared God first. He was confident that God was in control and he trusted him. He experienced God's presence. He kept going back to God. God, lead me, follow me. I want to reflect you. I want to be a perfect reflection of the Father. He was asked sometimes to do things that you would have thought, that's a kind thing. Jesus, these people want food. Jesus knew, no, that's wrong. Sometimes you will need to say no because you know what's right. He wasn't scared to do that. Jesus was told at one time, everyone's looking for you. Jesus said, let's go. What? Wait a minute. That doesn't add up. Well, he knew you don't give in to other things if I'm supposed to be doing something else I'm called to. When he was encouraged by Peter to refuse death, Jesus, that will never happen to you. He said, get behind me, Satan. Wow. Because he saw the temptation there and he saw that as evil. No, I'm going to follow God and worship him and trust in him alone. He did perfectly whatever the father asked him to do. He never ran from responsibility. And even on the cross, when he could have had every right to be bitter and angry towards those who were spitting at him and cursing him and throwing things at him, you may have every right to be angry at people for the way they treated you and the pressure that's on you at work. But Jesus on the cross said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. Can you imagine? In the garden before they took him away, Peter, in his panic, took out one of the swords of the soldiers and sliced his ear off. Jesus got down and picked up the ear and healed it. said, Peter, don't you know I could call a legion of angels? I could call multitudes of angels. Don't you know God's still in charge? Don't you know God is still to be confided in? It's still what we take our comfort from. But Jesus was like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He also walked into a fire trusting his father, saying, not my will, but yours be done. Being totally innocent, he walked into death, having taken all the pressure, tempted in every way, but without sin. This is our Jesus. He wasn't delivered. He wasn't saved. He was crushed and bruised for my sin. 
for your sin, for our iniquities, he was engulfed in fire, in the fire of death, so that you can walk free. Where you failed under pressure, he never did. You can stand in that today. You can stand in his righteousness credited to you today. You can know, God, I've already, Tim's talked about how we shouldn't fail. I've already failed so much. Jesus has, God looks at Jesus' account credited to you. He says, I don't see that failure. I just say, walk free. Walk free from it. It's not who you're called to be. My sin was exchanged for his righteousness at the cross. I don't stand condemned. Oh, I've already failed. Oh, I I got cross. I, I stole. I did something I shouldn't have done in the workplace. Well, thanks to Jesus, we walk free. We stand in his righteousness. We know because he never did any of those things that we have failed in. It's as if we never did. That's how God looks at us. Isn't that beautiful? Say, God, we thank you for what you've done in our lives, that we have walked free. And we want to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We want to be like Jesus. We want to fear God for first more than anyone. We want to be confident that he's in control. We want to trust him. We want to experience God's presence wherever we go. And God, you are the only God worth worshipping. We, res- we want to repent now, God, of where we worship other gods, where we say, you're not good enough for me. I choose something else. God, I pray for myself that in my leisure time, I would choose you. Even when no one's looking, and I don't have to, that I would say, I want to spend time with God. Because you're worthy of it. You're the best. I do pray for us, Lord, as we go into our weeks, as we praise you now, that we would just know the, the delight of having found the one true God. Having that revelation to us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing to us. Thank you, God, for giving us your word to to know about you, to understand you, to see that you are worthy. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.